Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually, consciously living today. Here's your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living today. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo co-host and producer of the show. And our topic today is living with vibrancy, aging gracefully into the third stage of life. And I'm here today with our guest, Dr. Carrie Demers. Dr. Demers is a board certified uh, physician. She's a Uh, board certified in both internal medicine and integrative medicine, and is a holistic physician who blends modern medicine with traditional approaches to health. After receiving her medical degree from the University of Cincinnati, Dr. Demers went on to study massage, homeopathy, nutrition, herbal medicine, yoga, and Ayurveda. For the past 20 years, she's been the medical director of the Pure Rejuve Wellness Center, at the Himalayan Institute in Pennsylvania. Widely recognized for her expertise, Dr. Demers has been interviewed by numerous magazines and newspapers, and she lectures nationally on holistic health and Ayurveda. She's a frequent contributor to yogainternational.com and the Himalayan Institute Online Wisdom Library. Dr. Demers has offered several talks and retreats focused on the third stage of life, which we'll be talking about today. You can learn more about Dr. Demers and the Himalayan Institute at himalayaninstitute.org slash Carrie Demers, and it's C-A-R-R-I-E. D-E-M-E-R-S. Welcome, Dr. Demers. Welcome, Carrie. I'm delighted to have you here with us on the Yoga Hour today. It's great to be here with you, Laura. Yeah, please call me Carrie. Okay. (laughs) Before we dive into our dialogue about aging with grace, let's begin with a moment of contemplation. Oh. So let's start by just bringing ourselves present, bringing ourselves into the here and now by feeling our bodies in space, feeling whatever surface is supporting us and all of the places that our body touches that surface. And then let's turn our attention to our breath, that wonderful tool that is always with us. And let's just notice as we take a fully conscious breath, notice as you inhale and exhale. Feel the parts of your body that move with your breathing. 
Feel the cool air in the nostrils when the breath comes in. And the warm air as it flows out. And as we rest here in the present, here's something to contemplate. Taken from Yogacharya O'Brien's Book of Inspirations, Living for the Sake of the Soul. We cannot have the new life that we seek without letting go of the past. Respect the way things are and live in the soul's unconditional joy in the present moment, even in the midst of loss. Real freedom, soul freedom, is not being in control. It is letting go. It is being free of the need to manipulate, to manage, or to map out. Free from false certainty and predictability, life is ever anew. So once again, Carrie, welcome back to the Yoga Hour. It's great to have you on the show again. As I mentioned in the introduction, you've offered several talks and retreats on aging. So what is it that draws you to this topic? What interests you about aging? Well, personally, we're all aging. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. There's sort of an immediacy to that. so there's a there's a personal uh, witnessing of the aging process. The you know my joints aren't as fluid as they used to be, or my memory not as sharp. So it's, there's an obvious sort of attention grabber there. Um, and then I think what happened over the last gosh decade for me, I've been offering vibrant aging workshops for a long time, and um, it's just watching our society, watching people I know and love age, and the um, societal framework for that. You know, we don't have, we, in our culture, we frame aging as all about loss, mm. all about deterioration. You know, um, you lose your youthful vibrancy, you lose your, maybe your mental capacity, you retire and no longer have a job to identify as your purpose. Um, there's really nothing to look forward to other than retirement, which maybe is golfing a lot. It's, it's pretty <laughs> empty, you know, it's pretty empty. And so I think what's happened in our culture is that we've, we've just tried to stay 50 for as long as possible. There's no, there's no excitement or newness or um, intrigue about what's ahead. There's a, there's a new world ahead of me that's interesting. So that's why we started to develop these programs to invite people into the this idea of of what does Ayurveda and yoga say about the future? Like, as we're going to talk about, there's these there's a, there's a, there's stages of life, and every stage of life has a purpose, a meaning, a, a a nugget of gold in every in every stage. And and there's a there's a nugget in this aging stage that's really meant to draw us inward. Mm-hmm. So um, that was the initial kind of wanting to help people who really were struggling with this sort of this mm, negativity around aging instead of more of an enthusiasm around it. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. That's a, it's a really helpful framing, I think, and particularly in our culture, which as you said, 
you know, it, it, I've even heard now it used to be 60 is the new 50. Now it's 70, you know, right. is the new, is the new 50. Yeah. Everybody, everybody wants to stay 50, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's really looking backward and this focus on loss rather than, as you said, looking forward with excitement and an anticipation. So as you mentioned, Vedic philosophy teaches that there are four stages in life. The first is the student stage or brahmacharya in Sanskrit. Second is householder stage or grihastha. And then the third, which we're going to be talking mostly about today, is the forest dweller or vanaprastha stage. And then the last is the renunciate or sannyasa stage. So briefly, that first stage, that of a student, is a time of learning. The second or householder stage is the stage where one is earning a living and raising a family. Then the third stage is, as I mentioned, called the forest dweller stage, which is a stage of moving back from life, perhaps taking on a mentorship role and really beginning to turn towards spirituality and this is the stage we're going to dive into mostly in the second part of the show. The fourth stage called the sannyasa stage is when we're elderly and we withdraw from worldly goals. And it is said that one reaches the stage only if, only if they want to, only if that's appealing to them. So um, you are a physician, an Ayurvedic practitioner, and have offered talks and retreats on this third stage of life or vanaprastha. So how have you found the Vedic teaching about the four stages of life to be useful to yourself and your students? Yeah, so, um, right. So in Ayurveda, we talk about this stage being about vata rising, about this air or wind energy rising. And that vata energy is can cause lots of problems, <laughs> dryness and <laughs> joint problems and osteoporosis. But energetically, it's also expansive and creative. And so rather than seeing this phase as about deterioration, we see it as this, as you just said, this sort of spiritual awakening phase or creativity rising phase. So vada rising means we have more access to creative energy, more expansive sense of who we are in the world, um, more of a, a, a bigger, a, a deeper, uh, a broader self-identity can evolve in this. If I've, if I've only seen myself as, you know, my job, my job as a, as a parent or as a, you know, a worker, employee, whatever, or whatever, a business owner, that's how I've known myself to be. This stage gives us an opportunity to look at who am I beyond those kind of worldly roles, and it can be terrifying because I don't know myself that way often, but it can also be just um, just awesome in the true sense of that, just really um, eye-opening and um, joyous. Um, so that's, that's why I'm enthusiastic about inviting people to like step into this role and not just cling to who they've always been, but to kind of bust out like that chrysalis, the, the butterfly, like break out of your little pod and be more than you've ever been before. So mm-hmm. this, this idea that there's more to know of myself, who I've, I've, I've known myself as these roles, but there's so much more that I am that I haven't even explored yet. So the idea of we're explorers in this third stage of life instead of clinging to being 50. You know, that's, that's, that's the, the idea. Yeah, absolutely. So when you talk about this third stage of life, um, how do you how do you describe it to your students? So this idea of this third stage, I mean, sometimes it's translated as a as a retiree, but to me that kind of minimizes it in a way. Yeah. So what what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I don't like that word retired. It sounds like I'm tired again. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, I tell them I like this idea of forest dweller, this idea that people in the Vedic times actually withdrew themselves from their communities and went and, and, and you know, did spiritual practices in the huts and the, in the woods. You know, that's, that's pretty drastic for our, our culture. But this idea that you're actually purposefully pulling away from who you've always been, which is really a challenge, and really moving toward something unknown. Mm-hmm. You know, who am I in, in, my, in the true sense? Who, who, what is my, well, we know Atman or my, my spiritual sense? Who, who, what's that part of me like? And mm-hmm. it's really permission to spend time. Like our retirement in our culture is really permission, free time to do self-development. It could be that you, you know, go take classes in art <laughs> or learn an instrument or something you haven't ever been able to do because you've been so busy with your life. So that's right. permission. But in the Vedic definition, it's really this idea that you are interested in a deeper sense of yourself. Yeah, really nicely put, interested in a deeper sense of yourself. Yeah. I was puzzled when I was hearing from Yogacharya about this idea of the forest dweller. And what the way that she explained it is you're pulling back, but you're not all the way in the forest. So you're actually not in that hut. You're sort of on the edge of the forest. So you can kind of still see the town and there's the forest, but you're sort of in that in-between stage, right on the edge of the forest. And to me, that was really um, meaningful. Mm-hmm. in that it opens up these roles of still being able to be involved, but more from a distance, as I mentioned, mentorship, potentially mm-hmm. trying to teach a little bit about maybe all of the things that you've learned over time. Then there's also, um, you know, questions about our spirituality. I mean, we are more than halfway through our life, I think, for most of us, we could say we get to that point. And so it really is, uh, what is important to me? And what are the deeper themes that I want to strike, which to me, that's the forest, we're kind of relating then to the deeper questions, but we haven't totally left the town behind, like we can still see it, we can still participate, we can still get to it really easily. So anyway, I I really liked that, that description of the forest dweller. Yeah. And for most people, that's going to be more appealing than utter separation. That's more like the renunciate state where you totally separate from any interaction with the, with the village, right? So we so we don't want people. I mean, I, I I would never convey it to the groups that I talk to as that kind of absolute separation. But it is it is an inward journey. Yeah, it is more of a turning inward and exploring who I am and my deeper desires. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So we talked a little bit about this third stage of life and some of the characteristics of it. So in your experience, you know, maybe we've already touched on this a little bit, but more thoughts about this. Why do some find it so difficult to make this transition, you know, from second stage of life, the householder stage to, to forest dweller? Well, I think in our culture, there's no model. There's no there's no roadmap. Um, you know, we again, we the, the images that we see in marketing, even for aging well, you know, programs to help you, help you age are all about people 
staying beautiful or getting facelifts or taking hormones or getting their hair dyed or like not really an embracing of aging. It's really um, a rejection of aging. And so there's not really a clear, well, you know, that's not true. We have a lot of um, octogenarians, sort of vibrant people who are aging successfully. And successfully means you're still healthy, energetic, um, purposeful in the world, and your mind's still sharp. So we have like, you know, like Betty White pops into my head, or Noam Chomsky, or people who are quite elderly but are still super like on. They're still they're still really doing good work in the world, right? So we have those kind of role models of people who are aging well and uh, and long, right? Um, they're maintaining themselves. But we don't have very many uh, role models of people who are doing spiritual work as the purpose of their third stage of life. Mm. And some of them are artists. A lot of the people who are aging well are musicians or um, actors. Or, you know, uh, uh, so that would be more of a fit with the Vada phase of life where you're, 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 you're deepening your connection to your own creativity. That would mm-hmm. fit. Um, um, but I think it's hard for people. It's just so uncharted. Uh, it's hard for folks to say, okay, I used to be whatever, a banker, and I'm going to retire. Now what am I going to do? Like, you know, it's, it, it's um, um, I think it's challenging for people to actually say, huh, I want to learn to play the banjo, or I want to do deeper work at my church, or learn to meditate. Like, I don't know if that comes to people, if that's part of their, if it hasn't been part of their life experience or role models in their life, it's hard for them to see their, that, that path to walk down. Mm-hmm. No, I, I really agree. And I think one of the other difficulties is that when you've been doing whatever you've been doing for long enough, you've developed a lot of skill in that. So you're going from this place of being super highly skilled in one area And then when you open yourself up to a new path, part of that also is being a beginner. (laughs) And for many people, that's really not that fun. (laughs) That feeling of a a total lack of of skill, (laughs) total um, beginnerness, you know, where you don't know how to golf or you don't know how to play that instrument. And when you first start, of course, you're going to be terrible because that's part of being a beginner and you have to practice, practice, practice. But if you're willing to be open to that challenge of that, you know, beginner's mind from the, you know, the Zen, uh, uh, teachings talk about that, having that beginner's mind, that newness, and also the excitement that comes with it, then you can really develop, as you're saying, new ways of being, of bringing creativity into your life and to the lives of those around you. Right. Exactly. That feeling incompetent is not welcome when we're 60. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We have to learn how to be beginners all over again. That's right. right. And really from a, a medical, like science point of view, learning new things is really good for our brains to keep us sharp and, you know, to help our brain stay really, you know, vibrant and healthy well into our, our older years. Yeah. We need to be able to shift into that beginner mind to learn something new. Yeah. You know, it's important. To me, there's also the, 
the opportunity to create a space because the thing is after you've been you know working 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 then all of your time's been pretty much taken up and so when that role goes away of course there is a sense of loss which is part of what people respond to i think when they uh, you know potentially fear retirement mm-hmm. but if you can hold that space open something new can fill it that you right. may not even have have realized that you had an interest in Right. The the tendency, though, is to be f- afraid of that open space, right. <clears throat> kind of right. shove it full of, you know, things that that may not be the things that you're that interested in. Right. But they're known. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Probably exactly. they're, they're, they're familiar. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about the age ranges, which I know are are, you know, kind of loose, but um, I wanted to ask you about that. So the Vedic life stages are associated with certain ages. So the student stage traditionally is going from birth to age 24, the householder stage from 24 to 48. I've also heard 50. And then the forest dweller stage from around 48 to 50 up to 72. And then the renunciate stage 72 onward. So those age ranges from the Vedas are actually for people who aren't familiar with the Vedas, these are a few thousand years old, <laughs> this this thought and these teachings. So I was actually first struck by, I mean, that's actually pretty amazingly right on for, for the last couple of thousand years because they had a very, very different life back then. So yeah. that's, that was actually interesting for me. But there are some changes due to our modern life. For example, more and more, I see spiritual seekers uh, young people as spiritual seekers. And also uh, during retirement, which is the marker potentially for the third stage of life, people may then have still responsibility for aging parents. Sometimes if you haven't had children until later in life, you may actually even be continuing to raise your older teen children right in that age range. And then it's this sort of sandwich thing where you have responsibilities both for children, potentially grandchildren, and also parents. Mm -hmm. So what has your experience been about the age ranges? And what's your what's your what has your uh, thought been about that? How do you teach about that? Yeah, it's a a great question, actually. Um, I, I, I haven't taught much about it, actually, but, but you're, but it's, it, it, you're making me think about it. Um, so I think that young people learning about spirituality is just awesome. <laughs> it's awesome for the planet. It's awesome for raising consciousness. It's, I mean, they are in the phase of life. It's all about learning. So if part of their learning is about spirituality or, me- or meditation and yoga, that's great. Only going to help them through the other phases of life to already know what those things are. So super, they, that, now they have more skills, more tools in their toolbox, so to speak, to manage stress and decision-making and kind of um, tapping into their own sense of themselves. So younger, they already have a jump start, which is awesome. Um, I'm, I'm actually one of the people that, that you just mentioned that had my kids later in life and now have kids that are in college and high school and, and aging parents. So I, I feel like my retirement or my forest dweller phase is, is going to be delayed <laughs> until you know, 60, 65, maybe 70, because I'm going to be managing a lot, continue to work in my job. You know, I'm gonna, so I'm not going to be able to have that feeling or that appearance of retirement for a while yet. Um, 
And I and again, what you said is that these stages are rough. They're they're conceptual. That we're we need to spend time learning. We need to spend time contributing to society, making a living, defining a role in, in our in our society in our community, having roles there that are that are you know day to day life. You know, outward. They're outward focused. And then, and then the whole idea is that the the when we pull back from that, we have more space around inner work, creative work, and so really, I we can put small chunks of spiritual work in our days, even when we're working full time, raising families, taking care of our parents. In fact, that's probably the ideal to manage stress, to to right. find peace in a crazy world. Is that you know, ideally we we being to incorporate some of these spiritual practices so that we, you know, find joy, even when we're crazy busy. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, ab- absolutely. I think that's a great, that's a great point. And there are so many things and regular listeners to the yoga hour have heard about <laughs> some of those of mindfulness moments and all kinds of stress management types of techniques, some breathing techniques, which maybe we can get into a little bit later, but um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, of opportunity for us to bring that, those types of, of, well, that type of openness that we've been talking about from the third stage of life into the second stage of life, especially if, as you were mentioning, your third stage of life is pushed off a little little bit, (laughs) doesn't mean it has to all wait, you know, potentially there can be some of that, that can happen, that can happen uh, sooner. So with that, uh, we are coming up on the break. You're listening to The Yoga Hour with our guest today, Dr. Carrie Demers, holistic physician and medical director of the Himalayan Institute Pure Rejuve Wellness Center for the last 20 years. Dr. Demers is board certified in both internal medicine and integrative medicine and has offered several workshops and retreats on our topic today, aging gracefully in the third stage of life. You can find out more about her work and the Pure Rejuve Wellness Center at the website HimalayanInstitute.org. <clears throat> we welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host and producer of the Yoga Hour we come back from the break, we'll explore more about living vibrantly into the third stage of life. We'll have some very specific examples of some issues that may come up and some ideas about how to deal with them. Stay with us. We'll be right back. listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to The Yoga Hour, living the eternal way with your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome back from the break. 
Carrie, in the first part of the program, we discussed the four stages of life. And now let's turn our attention to aging and the forest dweller stage. So from an Ayurvedic perspective, what is happening to the body at this time of life? So Ayurveda says that the whole world is made out of doshas. And if you're not familiar with that, it's this idea that there are elemental energies that permeate all of creation. So there's earth and water and fire and air and space. And all of us have those inside of us. Um, but the air and space parts come together to make what's called dosha, the, the vata dosha. Let me back up. Water and earth make up kapha dosha. Fire and water make up pitta dosha. And air and space make up vata dosha. So we say that the, that the Ayurveda is a tridoshic system. There's those three, vata, pitta, and kapha are the doshas that make up everything, these elemental energies. So vata is what rises in the last third of our life, in, the, in this phase, this forest dweller phase of life. And so, you, so vata is wind, is wind quality, air and space, wind quality. So it's, 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 uh, it's nature is like the wind. It's cool and dry and mobile and unstable, but also expansive, like effervescence, like the fizz and seltzer, kind of up and out, expansive. Um, and so even if you haven't been like that in your first 40, 50 years of life, you may find those qualities rising in you, that you're drier, you're colder, you're more creaky, you're, you know, uh, and, and, and that in our minds, those, the qualities of, of expansiveness and creativity also rise. Mm-hmm. So yeah, such that, a great, such a great overview. Thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> so yeah. from a from a from an aging, um, you know, um, aging symptom point of view, almost all the symptoms that we get from that are typical of aging, like arthritis or osteoporosis or um, hernias, incontinence, dementia, they're all caused by vata rising, by too much vata. So the goal, so Ayurveda sees this this um, phase as okay. You know vata is rising, but you can do things that keep vata down or balanced enough that it that you mitigate the symptoms, but still, but still um, benefit from this expansive, light, creative, joyous energy. So that's that's the challenge that we all need skills to keep our vata balanced so it doesn't cause arthritis and you know, other bone problems or dementia and yet we still get to cultivate or um, benefit from this Mm -hmm. rise of this creative spiritual expansive energy that's the goal (laughs) great and i i love the the emphasis on balance Mm -hmm. that there are these tendencies that we each have these 10 all three of these uh qualities within us all three of these doshas within us in varying amounts but that also that there are, it's way too much to talk about, but times of day and, you know, seasons and also seasons of life, as you just said, when this is the Vata time. So over the break, you and I were talking a little bit about inflammation and as physicians and as people who are following the medical literature, we were talking about now inflammation is recognized as this huge, huge issue in so many of the diseases that there's been this link that's been developed over the past, I don't know, you know, 15, 20 years, something like that. So, so from an Ayurvedic perspective, how, how does Ayurveda view inflammation? Right. 
So, well, on the one hand, it would say that inflammation is about too much pitta, P-I-T-T-A, pitta energy, fire energy, causes inflammation. But um, they also, Ayurveda also has this analogy of a green stick, like a, you know, a, a, a live tree or bush, right? It's bent. If I have a bush outside my house and it's, it's, it's healthy and, the, and the, the heavy snow comes down and, and mashes it down for a few days, the, the greenness of the stick makes it have resilience. It bounces back. It doesn't break. If I have a brittle stick, then I have no resilience to the stress of life and I break, right? So there's this analogy in Ayurveda, this idea of a brittle stick that life dries us out, that that vata rising dries us out and makes us less resilient. So it also, drying out, also makes us more prone to catch on fire. So literally, if I'm dried out, I'm more apt to get inflammation, whether it's in my skin or my joints or my guts. If I have a dryness issue, it invites inflammation, basically. Yes. So the other the other association I wanted to bring out before we talk about what we can do about that, some yeah. specific tech, you know, some specific practices that can help. So stress. So obviously our life today is very, very stressful in ways that probably our, our grandparents or great grandparents hundred years ago would, they wouldn't even really recognize so much of what we have to deal with today. So how is inflammation related to stress? Right. So from a modern medical point of view, we know that the markers for inflammation rise from stress. So it kind of makes sense. Our inflammation is actually our immune system's first um, uh, response to the to a threat. Mm -hmm. So whether it's I've I've you know I've 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 skinned my knee, right? And inflammation happens around that injury to devour any bacteria to help that tissue heal actually so, so inflammation itself is not a bad thing right but if you think about the feeling of being stressed is a is a feeling of is a defensive stance right i'm stressed i'm i'm more apt to that whole fight or flight thing i'm that's what's happening i feel threatened in some way so it makes sense that our body's inflammation our body's immune response, our, our body's defense systems are revved up when we're stressed out. Right. right? So that, that's what's happening. And, and we know that's true from a medical point of view. They can measure these inflammatory markers in our bloodstream. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I just feel like our, from an Ayurvedic point of view, stress makes Vata rise. Stress is that, oh my God, state is a, is a, is a Vata excess state. Mm. So again, it's going to, it's going to continue to dry myself out, which means I'm more prone to burst into flames. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's not really medical, but it's how I think about it. That's the, that's the image in my mind. Yeah. Great, dry great image. Yeah. So what do we do about it? So we were talking a little bit about oil and I did want to talk about Abhyanga as one yes. of the, th- as one of the things. So can you just describe that for people? You bet. So, so the, the big picture is that anytime you see an Ayurvedic doctor, they identify your dosha that's out of balance and give you advice to help bring that dosha back into balance. And, and really simply, it's, it's, they give you the opposite 
of the of the qualities you already have. So if I'm vata and I'm dry and I'm cold, then they're gonna give you something that's warm and moist, right? They're gonna counter the excess of vata, the dryness and the cold, by giving you the opposite, the warmth and the moisture. That's the that's like the basic idea. I need more warmth and moisture. So oiling, oh my gosh, oil has the qualities that are exactly opposite to vata. Oil is warm and heavy and moisturizing and stable to counter all that cold, dry mobility of vata. So oil is one of the main mm, treatments for vata excess or to keep vata in balance. So what you said, abhyanga, the word abhyanga basically means application of oil. So it's, a, it's an oil massage. And it could be someone gives it to you or it could be that you do it to yourself. Have you... Have you had an ambianga given to you? Yes. Yeah. 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 So it's usually very oily <laughs> and lots of kind of long, uh, repetitive strokes up and down your your limbs is kind of the traditional Ayurvedic massage. But you can do that to yourself. And I actually recommend to my patients that they do oil massage or abhyanga every day. And even those of us who are super busy, not retired yet, can can rub oil into our skin every day. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. um, yeah. I wanted to get into specifics. So yeah. uh, what the instructions that I have heard before is first thing in the morning before a shower, you can warm the oil or just even applying it to the skin actually warms it also. And then just using kind of round strokes over the joints and long strokes over the, the longer, you know, the limbs and all just apply the oil and it feels really good. <laughs> and yeah. it's a lot more accessible than having someone else having to pay, which normally just people just don't obviously can't have a massage every day. Right. <laughs> Even those who like it <laughs> would never be able to afford that. So this is a way of, of bringing it into a, a daily practice and then going ahead and having a shower and then the warm uh, water really opens the pores. And it's amazing. The oil just really just is absorbed. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything to add or correct about that? No, no correction. I feel like there's, there's 50 ways to do it right. So I, I have, I'm in the habit, the 25 year habit of oiling after my shower. Mm. So I get out of my shower and I towel off actually, and I skin brush and I brush my teeth and scrape my tongue and wash my nose. <laughs> and then I, I wet my hands and I pour oil on the palm of my hand and I rub it into my palms and I pat it over my body and then rub it in. Mm. And so it's not officially that those nice, like oily long strokes, but it's a way I have of of just oiling my skin and the water makes it spread and sink in and I don't feel oily. It doesn't stain my clothes. I put on my yoga clothes and go do my practice, right? I have patients who, who put oil on after their shower in the, in the tub when their body's still wet, they rub oil into the watery parts of them. So the water, again, this mixture of water and oil helps it spread and sink in. So the idea of taking the time to actually massage myself when I'm dry and like, soak in a hot bath or soak in or stand in a hot shower is lovely, but I just never quite managed to get my head around that. It feels like long, like I have too much to do. And this little bit of rubbing oil in my body in like two minutes is what fits in my, or what has fit in my life. For, for, yeah. So I always want everybody to know that whatever you can manage is good. Right. <laughs> you right. Know, don't make it be so many rules that it doesn't fit in your life. So I'd rather you do a little two minute thing 
you know, and then I take a few drops of oil and some water and rub it into each foot. You know, I do little little bits of water and oil and I rub it on my on you know my feet, my elbows, wherever it's dry. Or even just midday, I put a few drops of oil on my hand and some water and rub it and rub my face. If I feel like I'm really dry on a February day here in Pennsylvania, um, it just feels good to have that oil rubbed into my skin. Um, and I've had patients say, gosh, Carrie, of everything you've ever recommended to me, that oiling myself has been so helpful to my sleep, to my, to my sense of like groundedness, to my nervous system. I just feel so much calmer when I take care of myself that way. So it's just, I know that it sounds so like simple. And I think our culture has more of an aversion to oil because oil is stained stuff and, you know, it just feels messy, but it's so good. It's just so good. So anybody out there who's questioning, just give it a try. It's really wonderful. And then just briefly, can you talk about the type of oil? Yes. Yeah. So types of oil. So Ayurveda is really big on putting food on our skin. So um, good quality food-based, food-grade oil. So it could be, you know, organic, cold-pressed, extra virgin something. So the traditional oil in Ayurveda is sesame, um, but it could be olive or almond, um, even something that that's uh, more like, you know, um, sunflower, safflower. Those are all fine if you have, again, it sort of depends on your constitution. Um, and you can buy oils from, you know, health, uh, health food stores that have those ingredients in them, maybe mixed with essential oil so they smell nicer. Um, but basically the idea is food. Mm-hmm. And then if, and then there may be a tweak for your constitution. Like if you're a hot blooded person, like you're really warm all the time, then coconut oil would be the choice for you. Cause coconut's like one, the one oil that's really cooling mm. instead of warming. So if you need, if you're, it's July and you're hot, coconut's a good choice. If you're freezing, don't use coconut. Coconut's cold. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So difficulty with sleep can also be a problem as we age. So what recommendations do you make for getting a more restful sleep? Right. So generally for any VADA problem, it could be arthritis, it could be anxiety, it could be sleep issues. Um, so if I want to, if I, if I know that I'm balancing Vata, then what, what, again, this idea of giving the person the opposite of Vata nature. So Vata nature is ungrounded and chaotic. So schedule really helps people a schedule of bedtime, wake time, time to eat, time to exercise, time to breathe and relax. Those four things, sleep, food, movement, and relaxation practice or meditation. Those four things regularly in every day is the goal and that regularity that's and ayurveda is just absolutely unyielding on this it's a must that the stability of our self-care of our basic supportive practices food sleep movement right those things regularly every day build stability in our bodies and minds mm-hmm. and if we don't have if we don't have stability in those habits we tend to wreak havoc on our bodies and minds so we create instability in, in our bodies mm-hmm. and minds. so that's the first thing then it would be oiling, you know, and then it would be generally this idea that vadas need diets that are, you know, fresh food, of course, but more warm, oily, protein-rich foods that are anchoring, stabilizing for that windy energy. You can find books on that. Um, and then some kind of bedtime routine. Bedtime routine is really helpful. And even a modern medicine says this now. 
you know, I think you and I have both boarded recently. Um, and it's fun to find that modern medicine is moving toward sort of these traditional systems. Like it's no right. longer the case that that Ambien is the first is the first line treatment for sleep problems. It's sleep hygiene. It's right. It's winding down. It's it's relaxing. It's taking a hot bath. It's sipping tea. It's it's you know massaging your feet. It's unplugging, getting away from all the all the electronic stimulation. That and then ideally you you maybe you soak in a hot bath, say a prayer, read something inspiring, and then surrender into sleep. But we can't just expect our to be going full steam and stimulating ourselves and then jump in bed and expect our, our nervous systems to just calm down in a blink. Right. So attention to that purposely winding down. And then of course there's all kinds of herbs in Ayurveda that are that are nervous system uh, system calming. So everything from, you know, poppy, California poppy to uh, valerian, jadamansi in Ayurveda. Um, all kinds of herbs that are, are milky oatsy. They're all kinds of nourishing, calming. They're called nerving, nerving herbs that are just nourishing to our nervous system and, and very safe and very safe. That's a, that's a great list. The, um, the vata that arises as we age that we've been talking about, mm-hmm. again, is associated with these things with the sleep the sleep difficulty. And one of the other things that I really think about from this, from a scientific perspective is what you, one of the things you mentioned, the light from screens. And so often people are looking at a screen right up until they close their eyes to go to bed. And what has been shown is that the uh, uh, pineal gland, which really, which secretes the internal melatonin that we have, is very responsive to light. And part of a deep sleep is that spike of melatonin that happens right after we go to sleep that can be blocked by looking at a screen too close to bedtime. So I did want to underline that in terms of the science that's going along with some of these other recommendations that, that you're discussing. Right. That, that blue light, that blue light that's emitted from the screens confuses our sense of, of night and day. And, and melatonin gets secreted by just the act of the, of the, of the sun going down. The d- darkness is what helps our body know it's time to sleep. So it's our body's inclination to help us sleep. Uh-huh. So memory loss is another yeah. thing that you mentioned as associ- being associated with vata. And Western science has now been proving that meditation changes our brain structure and creates these new neural pathways so what would you say about the importance of a meditation practice as we age? Oh, wait. you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> a leading question. <laughs> you know, we, we both believe strongly in the power of meditation. Um, I think meditation is good for anybody at any age. The, the truth is it, it just helps us um, feel calm and grounded and clear about who we are in the world. So, but especially, as you said, there's been research. In fact, the only two things we know so far that build new nerve cells, that actually make new nerve cells, it's called neurogenesis, is meditation and exercise. So you, you, you might want to do those things as you age to help your nervous system stay really strong, right? And so, sure. I, you know, I've been watching my parents age, and I feel like they've lived a non-contemplative life. 
and it's painful because they all they can see is their friends are dying and they you know they their their world is shrinking and i i i think that they're not alone there a lot of people feel that that same way and so meditation helps you remember that there's a part of you that endures even after you shed this body mm-hmm. that there's a, a well whatever you call it your soul that there's a part of you that is enduring and if we have just a glimpse of that in a meditative practice, if we have just a sense that we are not this flesh, that we are not this, this mortal being, if in that meditation practice we, we, we can have an experience of ourselves as something bigger or connected to something bigger, it's a lot less scary to, to face the end. Yes. And, yeah. In fact, yeah, one of the... Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say one of the lines from the Vedas that from uh, the Bhagavad Gita that was very meaningful to me is even a little of this practice of of yoga, which contrary to how it's mostly heard in the United States, it's really big yoga and it really is about meditation. Only a little of this practice relieves great fear. And I, I think that is a very, very hopeful message, even from a few thousand years ago. So now we only have a couple, a couple of minutes uh, left, and I wanted to give you a chance to have the last word. Um, what words of inspiration or encouragement would you like to leave with our listeners? Oh, looks like we are having a little difficulty with uh, the connection with Dr. Demers. So, oops. So she, that's okay. She had to leave early and we are almost at the end. So I will say a last few things. Um, Let's go back to a meditation practice. Um, Meditation practice is, it can be really simple. And if you don't already have a meditation practice, I encourage you to start. And you can use the type of body-centering meditation that I did earlier in the program. Start by setting aside maybe just three or four minutes, uh, five minutes. See if you can get yourself into some place where you won't be disturbed. And then just feel your body. Bring yourself present using your feeling, your, your senses feeling your body in space, feeling your breath, feeling the parts of your body that are moving with your breath, really paying attention to your breath and just focusing on each in-breath and each out-breath. And even that for five minutes is really something that you can build on, can really bring tremendous stress relief, can bring a sense of peace, that sense of uh, connection to something bigger than ourselves. So I really encourage everyone who is listening to, to start that. Start it today. Everyone has five minutes. So in closing, you've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host and producer of the show. And we've been discussing living with vibrancy, aging gracefully into the third stage of life with our guest, Carrie Demers, MD.
Dr. Carrie Demers is a holistic physician who blends modern medicine with traditional approaches to health. She's the medical director of Pure Rejuve Wellness Center at the Himalayan Institute in Pennsylvania. You can find out more about her work and the Pure Rejuve Wellness Center at their website, himalayaninstitute.org. I really thank Dr. Demers for joining us today, and I'm sure she would be signing off if she hadn't unexpectedly lost the connection. You can join me next week, next time, when I will be talking with Reverend Connie Habash, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist. And we will be discussing how to overcome anxiety and live a calm, confident, and courageous life. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. CSE welcomes people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization, a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes or Stitcher or any other podcast sites. And if you're enjoying the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, regular host, founder and director of the Yoga Hour, Yogacharya O'Brien, assistant producer Ann Hayes, CSE's global media outreach manager, Holly Gray, and Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at unity.fm. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today.